0: your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So are you ready to recover from reality?
1: I've always connected deeply to the messy um, the messy people. They're my friends too. And it's interesting because I've also found that just in like LGBTQ culture, you do get a lot of messy people. And I mean that in the most beautiful sense of the word because I also think that you know, coming out is such a big deal and it still is. I know people are like, oh, Gen Z has it so much easier. Maybe in LA and New York they do, but you know, the world is not LA and New York. Um, but I think that once you come out and you, you really, it's like opening up Pandora's box and the real you, you've, you've done this Your sexuality, I believe, exists at the core of who you are. So when you embrace it and you say, I'm going to risk my relationships with my parents, my friends, with society, with all these people, and I'm just going to embrace the core of who I am, you just unlock all this magic.
0: That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Zara Berry. Y'all, I had so much fun with Zara. She's just so pretty to look at, but she's also really, really fun to talk to. Uh, If you haven't heard about Zara, she is a writer who has been pouring her heart out and offering up heaps of advice to girls across the great expanse of the internet for over a decade now. She was a wildly popular teen blogger notorious for her angst-ridden, detailed accounts of her hard partying weekends, her melodramatic adolescent depression, and her screwy relationship with food. Can't we all relate to that? I think so. For college, she attended the California Institute of the Arts, where she studied theater. She haphazardly fell into a professional writing career when she scored a job as a senior writer at the ever popular digital publication Elite Daily. At Elite Daily, Zara starred in, produced, and wrote a popular original web series, Les Get You Laid, Sex and Dating Advice to Men from a Lesbian, and hosted a weekly live advice show for the publication. Zara has recently launched her own bad girls wellness site, The Dirty Beauty. And she writes a weekly column for Go Magazine and is the co host, What Does She Not Do? of DNR's popular weekly radio show, Anxiety Radio. She also wrote a book recently that we talk about in great detail in this podcast. And I think that sometimes it's just really fun to have. An episode where we just reminisce on those crazy partying days and what we took away from those. So without further ado, here is Zara Berry. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. So congrats on the book. It's been out for one week now. It's good. Yeah. I feel like I just want to give you the floor a little bit and like let you tell your story. And really when I think about this, it's like the same thing with my book. It's kind of this hero's journey where we, we grow up in different ways. We begin this, like this period of self-exploration that I feel like more and more of us are really being called to do. I definitely think it's a generational thing. I don't know if the, you know, if our parents really felt this, you know, this call. I think that they were happy in the status quo, happy being stay at home housewives, happy being, you know, just a part of the routine generation after generation. Just this is just the way that it is. And I think that the millennial generation is starting to wake up and go, no, wait, this is like not cool, right? Like, we're not here for this. And so, yeah, as I was reading through it, I was like, this is very similar to my book. So go ahead and I just riff for a bit, I guess. Yeah.
1: So I have been writing on the internet for about five or six years, completely fell into writing. I moved to LA at a young age. I was 17. I, I, there's honestly, when I was reading your book, I had like a highlighter. I was like, I can relate, obviously not to everything, but just to the heart of your story. It just, it, blows my mind. That's why I reached out to you. But um, I moved to LA at a young age. I was obsessed with acting. It's all I ever wanted to do with my life. I studied it. It was like, it was something very serious for me. But again, I was out there on my own going to auditions, wasn't in college, didn't have any sort of real like grounded place. I was still a teenager, but lived like a much older life. Again, um, similar to you, I always looked old for my age. In fact, I have a chapter called An Ode to the Girls Who Grew Up Too Fast about just how traumatic it is to be like 14 with boobs and men are giving you this attention and you're all of a sudden invited to these parties that you're not ready to be at.
0: I actually marked, marked throughout that chapter because it was something that I really related to and I talked about it in a previous episode with a girl named Allie, where we, you know, in fifth grade, all of a sudden going into middle school had huge tits and like nobody else had that. Same. And, you know, it's very few of us who hit this. And I, I remember you were talking about getting your period and just being like, don't tell anybody and almost being ashamed about it. And I felt that way too. I was literally at cheer camp It was the heat of summer in LA. I was going into sixth grade and all of a sudden I just felt like a gush. And I was like, that's weird. But I kept cheering. And then when I got home and I removed my uniform, they have you wear these like underwear over your underwear. They were just covered in blood. And I was like, well, what the fuck do I do now? Right. And none of my other friends had had their period yet. Like this was not a thing. Right. Um, so yeah, and there's so much in here that I related to. But the biggest thing is that the weird shift of the right. men around you that begin to take notice quickly, right? To you are now no longer a little girl. Like you're, it's, it's a big jump. It's like, it's almost like you skipped those awkward preteen years and now you're like a hot teenage girl, but you're 12. Right. Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about Sakara. If you're looking to change your diet instead of restricting what you eat, what if you just nourish your body with healthier and more nutritious foods? With Sakara, you're putting the best in your body so you can feel your best. This week I had Sakara delivered to my house and I have to say the food is absolutely delicious. I am trying my best to reduce my meat consumption so that way when I am consuming meat, I am doing so as ethically as possible, which means really ramping up my plant-based diet. And that's why I love Sakara because they make it easy for me to do so. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and they're designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. The menu of creative, chef-crafted breakfasts, lunch, and dinners changes weekly, so you'll never get bored, and it's delivered fresh anywhere in the U.S. Along with delicious meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutritional needs. To boost results, try the best-selling metabolism super powder, an all-natural remedy for bloating, weight gain, and fatigue. Sakara has received rave reviews from everywhere from Vogue, goop and the new york times and right now sakara is offering our listeners 20 percent off their first order when you go to sakara.com slash reality or enter code reality at checkout that's sakara s-a-k-a-r-a.com slash reality to get 20 percent off your first order sakara.com slash reality
1: Yeah. I was like 12 years. I was 11 when I got my period. Same, I actually yeah. staged a fake period two years later just so, cause I didn't tell any of my friends. I felt like such a freak. I was already, I already felt different. I already stood out because again, I was one of those 11 year olds who looked like 16. And because yeah. I also have older siblings, older sisters who are party girls. My mom was a model. My parents are both party people. Like I just, knew how to also play the part, even if I wasn't ready to play the part. Like I knew how to play the part. I acted older. Well, as an
0: actress would, I mean, <laughs> right, you right. would throw yourself a pretend I got my period party. Right. We I mean? I <laughs> totally pulled it off. Like I'm sure those girls I hung out
1: with in middle school had no had idea. No idea. Like, really yeah. tears the whole thing. But yeah, so I, I was really lost for, um, You know, I had so much because of growing up fast and just because of being in so many situations I wasn't ready for, and also just like so many girls, I had um, sexual trauma at such a young age that I buried, that I blamed on myself, that I was so deeply ashamed of. And it's also really confusing because I'm a lesbian. So, um, you know, to have these really traumatic experiences with men but also know that you're not attracted to men and also feeling like it just gave me such an identity crisis. Um, and it's so annoying because people still, you know, try and be like, are you sure you're gay and you're not just traumatized? And if that was the case, like all girls would be lesbians, you know?
0: Um,
1: but, uh, so I had, I, I was, I really, um, into my Early 20s, just heavily self-medicated with drugs, alcohol, empty sex. I wasn't out. And I was just out of alignment too. I was working in beauty, and I just like I, I just kept like knowing like there's something else I should be doing. And I was putting I was playing like Russian roulette with my life because I didn't value my life. And then I had a really bad trauma in London. I lived in London for a while. My mom's English. And after that morning, I looked in the mirror, I had a sexual trauma and I was like, you can either freak out or you can just stuff this down and pretend this never happened and move the fuck on. And I looked in the mirror and I was like, you can stuff this shit down and you're just going to move the fuck on. And all this stuff that had happened to me prior, like I didn't even remember, which is something I also hugely related to. And I just kept self-medicating and self-medicating. I went on antidepressants for the first time, which worked but also it was just such a Band-Aid and that shit catches up with you. And I kind of just went into a full blast, true breakdown where my panic attacks became so severe that I developed really bad OCD and textures started to freak me out. Like the texture of the brick in my studio became, I couldn't look at it. And I had this OCD flare up and I couldn't leave my apartment. Like I felt like I was on acid all the time or something. So finally, I called my brother. We're very close. And I'm like, I think I'm fully, I fully lost it. Like I I don't know. So that was when I was like, shit, maybe I need to talk to someone. Maybe I need to get help. And my parents were living in Florida at the time. I didn't tell them what was happening, but I got on that plane and I was like, I'm not going back to England. Like I will die if I go back to England. So I moved back home for a little bit, really came like to terms with them about my sexuality, started dating a woman fully openly for the first time and started seeing a therapist. And it was just, I went on this journey of just all of a sudden in therapy, it was like, I would remember one Experience with trauma, and then all of a sudden, I'd remember all these others. And even while I was writing the book, I had like memories come up of things. It's like when you think you've remembered it all, it's just the more you open up, it's like you really are able to. It's like you have that one first memory, and then it's like walking down. I I always think it's like you're walking down a hallway, and all these lights flicker on. (laughs) You know, it's like you 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 switch, you flip the master switch. So, I um, I ended up like using my acting background and ran a youth outreach theater in Florida and then started blogging because I had always written when I was in high school. I had a live journal that was like very popular and I had just tucked away that part of myself because I didn't think I was smart enough. I don't have a college degree, I have major imposter syndrome, but I just thought, you know, like what did I do before I started self-medicating? What did I do before I discovered drugs and alcohol? I wrote So I went back to it and I was just really open really early on. And then within six months, I got um, a full-time writing job at Elite Daily and moved to New York City and became known as kind of the lesbian big sister of the site and would just, I first, I was so nervous to write about any mental illness stuff. I wrote a lot about sex, but I thought, you know, can a woman be both? Can you write about sex and still be seen that way? And then also be open about this part of yourself that you struggle so deeply with. And then I just ripped the bandaid off and I did it. And that's when I developed such a true connection to my audience. And I have been probably writing on the internet, like at least four articles a day for five years. And now we got this book. So (laughs) It just found me like, it's crazy. I never would have thought in a million years, like this is my life, but it's exactly like what I am meant to do.
0: I love the chapter about mental health in the book where, let me just go back to the name. You'll have to remind me. Talk mental
1: illness to me, probably. Yeah.
0: Talk (laughs) mental illness to me. (laughs) I think that part of the journey of becoming who we authentically are is not just facing the messiness, but like learning to love that really messy part of ourselves. I think it was really just my husband was the first person in my life who was like, I love you, even though you're crazy, even though you're dealing with panic attacks all day even though you're depressed, even though you're all of these things. And luckily I've been able to heal from most of that because it's really challenging to go through it. But he loved me. You know, he always was like, I didn't love you. Like, despite all of that, I loved you because all of that, like that was the part, like seeing you struggle and really fight to make it through on the other side was amazing to witness and it just went to show me like how incredibly strong you are as a person and I think that we're moving into a space now and I'm seeing it more and more where people are like hungry to talk about mental illness they're hungry to talk about their struggles they're hungry to find community really is what it comes down to of other people who are like, oh, this doesn't make you dirty. This is just who you are. This episode is brought to you by my favorite cured nutrition, Carrot is the leader in CBD supplementation with an entire line of products designed to take your everyday life to its ultimate potential. Their daily staples have been formulated with an in-house clinical herbalist, which has taken the traditional CBD regimen to an entirely new level of optimization. If you're anything like me, you love your coffee. You've probably toyed around with the idea of finding a healthy alternative to jumpstart your morning. Personally, that is why I have started my day with Cured's Rise, which is their focus supplement. It's a powerhouse blend of functional mushrooms like lion's mane and cordyceps, broad spectrum CBD and powerful adaptogens. It gives me clean, clear and sustained energy without any of the caffeine jitters or the crash. After I get going, Aura is next. It's a blend of functional mushrooms, CBD and adaptogens but with a twist. We all know how important immunity is right now, and this one covers all of my bases. The vitamin D, probiotics, and crucial antioxidants are delivered straight to the gut, which is the foundation for emotional and physical health. Second brain, right? It's where the majority of our serotonin production and immune function begins. Aura keeps everything in check and performing at its best. So I have one less thing to worry about. Now, obviously, I can't forget Zen. I've been talking about this for such a long time. I can't go a single night without it, which is certainly why it has become Cured's number one selling relaxation and sleep product. You know, the long nights spent tossing and turning? Yeah not with Zen. It has ingredients like reishi mushrooms, ashwagandha, magnesium, passion flower, and a broad spectrum CBD. So restlessness is thankfully something of the past. Cured Nutrition products are the answer for your everyday dose of health. Visit curednutrition.com. That's cured, C-U-R-E-D, nutrition.com. Be sure to use the coupon code ALEXIS at checkout to save 15% off your order.
1: And it's so interesting because you know, like I always went to public school my whole life and I was just a really creative kid. And they told my mom, they're like, you know, your daughter's away with the fairies. She needs to go on Ritalin. you know, I just never could sit through tests. It's just not how I'm wired. And if you don't, if you don't fit into that box and it was, I remember being so ashamed by that and so ashamed. I remember they had me and my, um, Best friend, like get our ears checked because they thought we had hearing problems because we just couldn't sit through at like seven years old. We just couldn't sit through like, you know, an hour-long science class. And um what I learned now is like, no, there was nothing wrong with me. Being away with the fairies is part of just having a big imagination and being a creative person. And when you go to these public schools where they don't value creativity and they don't value the arts, and you're you're just put on medication. I, I wasn't put on medication because my mom's very British and she, she said she told them to give fuck themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I just, Oh, it was always just a struggle and it made me feel like I was never going to amount to anything in my life. I could never have a really good job because I had this problem. And it's like, no, that fire just needed, it needed somewhere to go, you know? And and I did at like 17 meet an adult who got me into theater. And she was like, she was the first adult who saw light in me and was like, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, take this energy. Don't snuff the fire out. Like, embrace it. Make love to it. Act. Express yourself. And it's, it's just, I think that we've come a long way, but I just still get letters and like notes every day from girls who are like, I have been pumped up on amphetamine since I was seven or eight. And I don't know who I am. And, you know, something feels out of alignment or they've just been numbing, like they've been dumbing that fire down for so long because it is scary if you don't know what to do with it. And you are going to want to sort of try and tame it. And that makes me so sad. And that's really why I wanted to write the book is because I think that like a lot of the most amazing girls I've ever met and boys have been these Sort of sparkly party girls, but they've let their light get snuffed out. Whereas if they took that sparkly, magnetic, creative party girl energy and channeled it into something, like be- they could channel it into something beautiful that would like light up the world. And um, yeah, I really, th- I really saw that in your book where I don't remember when it was, it's early on, but you say like how you come out shining so fucking bright once you tell your story. Like I, that really resonated with me. It's so true.
0: Yeah. I was talking today about, um, I posted today about how often, especially in the recovery community, we are the highly sensitive people. And I've talked about this on my podcast a lot about how I addicts are usually just highly sensitive people. And Back in the day, highly sensitive people who didn't know what to do with their high sensitivity. And so eventually they turned to substances in order to try to calm that sensitivity down. Right. Back in the beginning of time when we used to operate in tribes and even in the beginning of us transitioning into out of hunter and gather and into an agricultural society, Sensitive people were the mystics. They were the women who told us which plants were safe to eat and which direction we needed to move into. And we were all probably a lot more sensitive. And then as time went on and life became more brutal and we began to operate in societies that just don't value community, we left behind millions upon millions of people who don't fit into the mold. And so what needs to be fixed? Do we need to, you know, I hate the term behavioral modification, but it's like really the only way to put it. Like, do we need to change and alter all of these people's behavior to fit into the box or do we need to fucking break down the walls of the box and do something about the box? And I right. think we're at the part point now, and this is what I was talking about in the beginning, where it's this ju- millennial generation. And I've talked about it often, how we get deemed as like the fucked up ones who don't care. We also often get lumped in with other generations, like younger kids who are actually, you know, not <laughs> millennials. Right. Um, and And God bless them too. I mean, right. and I've talked about this before, like the generation below us, grew up right around the time of 9-11 and we've been at war ever since right they've lived through the greatest recession in the u.s history they're about to make it through another one that last recession fucked the millennials now this one's gonna fuck that like the way in which we've been operating is just not sustainable. And I'm dealing right now. I have a daughter who is a creative. She's left-handed, left brain. I am doing my best as her mother to support her and all of her creative dreams, but it's hard. And I actually am pulling her out of the school system next year and trying a year of homeschool. Cause I'm just wow. lost, but Yeah. I mean, we've come so far scientifically. We know about different types of learners. We know that different people do better in different learning environments and that some people are creative and left brain and some people are more analytical and right brain, but we're not doing anything with this information. Right. So what's happening is you have a society that has all these sensitive children and they're told that they're the problem. They're not. Right. And then on top of it, you have generational trauma, which is also not their fault. And then on top of that, you have the one in four women and one in six boys that are going to be sexually abused. And then on top of that, and it's just like layers and layers and layers of shit. And that's where we come in when we're like, all of the layers of shit is actually what makes you special and perfect and lovely and beautiful and amazing. And I think people are often shocked when I'm like, I love the messy people. Like the messy people are like my friends. Like right now we're dealing with like two really hard cases at our treatment center. And I'm like, let me just go hang out with them for the day. They're just some messy people. They're just a little bit messier than the other people in the treatment center and they need help. (laughs) Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: I've always connected deeply to the messy, um, the messy people. They're my friends too. And it's interesting because I've also found that just in like LGBTQ culture, you do get a lot of messy people. And I mean that in the most beautiful sense of the word, because I also think that, you know, coming out is such a big deal and it still is. I know people are like, oh, Gen Z has it so much easier. Maybe in LA and New York they do, but you know, the the world is not LA and New York. But I think that once you come out and you, you really, it's like opening up Pandora's box and the real you Your sexuality, I believe, exists at the core of who you are. So when you embrace it and you say, I'm going to risk my relationships with my parents, my friends, with society, with all these people, and I'm just going to embrace the core of who I am, you just unlock all this magic. And again, when you unlock all the magic and it's not nurtured correctly, it can be very, very messy. It can be a beautiful mess. It can be a dangerous mess. But I find that like so many people in the LGBTQ community, I connect so deeply because they've just really embraced the core of who they are. Mm-hmm. And it's like you unlock that and then it's like, okay, once I come back to my parents, then I can start exploring a different career path. I've already done that. I've already ripped the bandaid off, you know? So it's interesting.
0: You already know the importance of taking care of your skin, whether you're worried about dullness, redness, fine lines, or acne, trying to find the right treatment can be frustrated. Now there's a simpler, smarter solution to skincare. Meet Rory, a digital health clinic for women. Rory is the sister brand of Roman. Like Roman, they've made it simple to connect with healthcare professionals online and to see if personalized prescription skincare treatment is right for you, all from the comfort of your home. Go on your phone or computer, complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a US licensed healthcare professional within 24 hours. And if appropriate, they'll prescribe a personalized skincare treatment plan that works just for you and your skin. With Rory, you don't even have to go to the pharmacy. Your custom skincare is delivered right to you with free two-day shipping. You can also follow up with a healthcare professional anytime if you need to make a change to your treatment or you have any questions. They're with you every step of your skincare journey. With Rory, there are no commitments and you can cancel at any time anytime. Go to hellorory.com forward slash reality to try out the nightly defense for just $5. It's free to chat with a doctor and your first order is just five bucks. That's R-O-R-Y, dot com forward slash reality. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. I think though, even, you know, I grew up in a very liberal household and I, as you know, was sexually abused. So my first sexual encounters were when I was way too young with men, but my first consensual sexual experience was, was girls, um, for many years. And so even in a liberal family, I think that we're just so programmed to believe that that's somehow dirty or wrong. Yeah. And just still, and even in the schools, I remember having sex with a girl or not quite sex, but hooking up with a girl in sixth or seventh grade. And then in school, we read, go ask Alice. Oh, God. And I was like certain <laughs> that I was going to fucking hell and that that was, you know what I mean? Right. And so... I think that, yeah, that there's still parts of me. I mean, it wasn't until my current relationship, a couple of, I mean, Evan always knew that I was bisexual, but it wasn't until a couple of years into my relationship that Evan was like, well, if you want to like go and like have a relationship with girls, like I'm totally fine with that. Like if I don't meet that need for you, that's fine. I have never once had someone in a relationship, I should say, one, Acknowledge that that might even be a need that's not met. Right. (laughs) I hadn't even thought of it. I'm like, well, I just chose my husband and I love the I love him for the person, not for the parts. And that's just the way that it it is. (laughs) But for someone to take that into consideration and to be such a free thinker and to go, like, I'm not at all concerned. Like, if that's something that you need, I totally respect that was such a profound experience for me. And while that doesn't feel right in my heart right now, um, it almost was like, it allowed me to feel a little bit freer. And in this process of us accepting ourselves, all of the scary parts of ourselves, we get to experience these glimpses of freedom, that light that are just so profound, that feels so, there's nothing better than that feeling.
1: I know. I know.
0: That's so, you know what I think? I think it's
1: like, it's just so beautiful that your husband would say that too, because it's, it is also like really seeing you, you yeah. know what I mean? Not just like you, the, the bisexual label, but like really seeing you and taking it, taking like, also bisexuals, I feel like people have such a hard time wrapping their brain around bisexuality, which is ridiculous. But um, I feel like a lot of people don't really see, see them, and especially partners don't really see them. So, like, that's just, yeah, that's so beautiful and rare. I've, I've
0: heard very few stories <laughs> like that. Yeah, I mean, sexuality is something that's still so repressed. I mean, even in the coastal cities, I think... Um, there's so many people that I am following now that are in non-monogamous marriages and incredibly happy. And I'm like, I don't know how you navigate that, but I think it's amazing that you do. And I think, yeah, I think that we are starting to question all of these types of more traditional Ways of living that are just really not serving a lot of people anymore. And it wasn't even just that Evans saw me in that moment and, like, thought, oh, like, you might have this need that I'm not meeting. He also didn't sexualize the situation, right? Which I think is something that is so common, especially for bisexual women, not bisexual men, which I think is really sad. But he wasn't like, oh, can you go have sex with a woman I watch, or i right. be involved or let's have a threesome. He just really met my need and was like, Hey, if this is something that you feel like you need to do, just an FYI, like I'm totally cool with it. <laughs> so right. I was like, hey.
1: right. It's so, yeah. So many girls that, you know, write me and they're like, you know, my, I, I have this feeling I can't shake it. I feel like I really want to experience being with a woman. I told my boyfriend about it. He's, you know, down for a threesome. I'm not sure I want it in that way. You know, I kind of want to just experience it. But um, it's just such such an interesting thing because I also, then a lot of those girls will have that experience. And the guy can't handle even just the threesome. He can't handle seeing the girl. I think it's one thing to say, Oh, that's hot! But then it's another thing for a lot of guys to see that they don't need the guy parts there at all, wow. and um, it really like threatens them. Like you know, they think, oh, she'll like it if I'm a part of it. And I don't know if this is like totally not on topic, but I it's in my book. But I kind of discovered fully. That I was a lesbian while having a threesome in high school. Um, Oh my gosh! (laughs) Yeah, with a a girl and and a a guy, and within like minutes, the guy was completely ignored, and it was just me and the girl. And he got really upset, and he left, and we just like went at it. um, Yeah, it's interesting when threesomes
0: backfire on men, right? So, when you started to write about mental health. What was scarier, starting to write about sex or starting to write about mental health? Um, I think when I
1: first started writing about sex, I didn't write it with as much nuance as it deserved. It was a really weird time on the internet. It was the time where Facebook, everything went viral, Buzzfeed, Elite Daily, things would get just so many shares. I was very pushed by my editors to write about sex without talking about, because even like, casual whatever going to say like it, it has nuance to it i think everything does so that was kind of easy and then i wrote my first article about mental health and my editors were like we love that you wrote this it's not going to do well people don't come to our site for that but like we love this like basically like we're doing this for you we support you this is this is a beautiful piece and it went completely viral and i was like you know what i think that even with the short attention span of the internet. I think you guys have really been underestimating your audience because people wanted more of it. That's when I like developed a really, really loyal and connected audience was when I started um, writing about mental health and it's still scary. I mean, it still scares me. I still do it. And I push myself further and further all the time. Um, And I just have that weird. I'm one of those people, I guess, that also has the weird impulse to share everything And that's what makes me feel connected. But once I started writing about mental health, to go back to your question, I started writing about sexuality more nuanced. And then that was really scary. That was the scariest thing in the world. But nothing has made me more scared to this day than writing about anything to do with body image, eating disorder stuff, because it's usually met with the nastiest criticism over anything I've found. Yeah.
0: It is so hard and I don't think people really understand. And it's why most of the time, the negative comments, I just let it go. Right. Every once in a while, i get a negative review. That's just so fucking absurd. And I can take feedback and criticism. Trust me. I do <laughs> quarterly reviews on this podcast. It ain't always pretty. All right. <laughs> um... And with my boss, you know what I mean? Like, and when I wrote my book, like I had so many people pick it apart and go, I hate this. This is horrible. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a writer. Um, that was just like word vomit on pages for a very long time. It wasn't, you know, what it is today. And, and it took a lot of constructive criticism and some critiques to get it to where it was at. And same thing with the evolution of this podcast, but there's something to be said about being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to make mistakes, being willing to say the wrong thing, being willing to like spill your guts out your experience. I mean, when I started this podcast, I was doing transcranial magnetic stimulation. I shared with people the journey I was going through. I'm like, I'm fucking suicidally depressed and I'm going to get my brain zapped for the next six weeks to see what happens. And I think that, When you put it all out there, you're going to be presented with people who either, and I have a problem with this, where within the woke crowd, we've Mm -hmm. now become woke warriors where we like rip each other apart, which is so counterfucking productive. I know. And then there's also just like the ignorance, right? And you're like, well, there's nothing that I can do for you. You've got to have your own experience. And eventually maybe you'll get here in this lifetime and and maybe you won't, and that's okay. But what I find for me is that I now see the criticism as like a mirror. It's like, okay, if this is hurting me, that means that there's something inside of me there that's (laughs) going, you know, oof, like, there's a pain point there, but it's hard to do that. And sometimes it is just mean. Sometimes people are just fucking mean. And right. like, I'm sitting here, you know, I love Brene Brown's example in her book. I, I can't remember which one it was. I think it's, I thought it was just me, but it isn't. But, or the power of vulnerability. But she's talking about being in the ring. She's like, I'm in the fucking ring, right? right. Being my like most authentic, vulnerable self laying my heart out on the line for anybody to come and like trample on it and whatever. And uh, honestly, unless you're in the ring with me doing the same work.
1: I know this quote, yeah. You
0: don't get a fucking opinion. Like your opinion doesn't matter. Like it doesn't actually matter. And so, yeah, I mean, talking about nuance, like there is a part of it where it's like, okay, so that was a pain point in me. And I have to work through that. And then also at the same time, like the critics, the people who leave the negative reviews, the people who are like super harsh, like that didn't really need to give their opinion, but just thought that they should because it's the internet. And everyone shouldn't right. give their opinion on everything. Right. It's like, unless you're in the ring, unless you're putting yourself out there, unless you're posting about your childhood sexual abuse, unless you're talking about being raped, unless you're talking about your mental illness.
1: Putting your art out there for people you say you're a bad writer or like, you know, I identify like being a writer is the biggest part of my identity. And sometimes people tell me I'm really bad at it, you know? And like, yeah, it, it, if, if you it's like, have you ever put out a piece of writing? Have you ever talked openly about what you're going through. If you haven't, I, and that when Brene Brown said that, it actually really freed me. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And I think you're so onto something about how it's still a pain point for you because most things at this point don't get to me. Like I was in the wild west of internet culture. We were making YouTube videos, everything on elite daily. And it was so brutal sometimes. And also so beautiful. And I just chose to plug into like the beautiful parts for the most part, not much gets to me, but the fact that when I write about struggling in any way with food or physical appearance, it's because that's still something that's so not resolved for me and something that I'm so self-conscious about. So it pricks me more than somebody like getting quote unquote triggered by something else I've written. And that's the other thing is like, we've also entered this phase where it's, if a woman talks It's almost, I don't know if you've ever felt this pressure, but it's like, I'm not here to be particularly a role model. Like I want to be real with people.
0: Oh my God, I talk about this all the time. Don't put me on your pedestal. Just let me be who I am. Right. If if, If you vibe with it, great. If you don't, just fucking move on, please. Right.
1: And if it's problematic for me to talk about what I go through as a woman with body image, or with stuff about with eating disorders and stuff like that. If that's if, if my human experience is problematic, like I'm not here to be, I'm not here to be like the PC poster woman of what a writer does, right? You know, like I, I do believe that all body types are beautiful. I do believe all these things, but I struggle with finding them in myself. And I think a lot of people do. And um, I've noticed really, and in quarantine especially. People are really just, you can't, talking about body image issues really sets people off yeah. in a big way.
0: Yeah, I think the cracks are starting to really be illuminated. I think that that's a huge part of this right now. I think people are spending way too much fucking time on social media. Totally. I think, yeah, and talk about mental health. Like If you're watching TikTok girls doing dances all day, you know, you're not going to feel good about yourself at the end of the day when you've been in your sweatpants all day, yeah. eating microwavable food, right. doing six Zoom calls and trying to keep your kids quiet the whole time. You're just that. Like, just right. don't do it. Like, if you're scrolling at the end of the night and you've been on TikTok for three hours, you're not going to fucking feel good. And and yeah, and that's that's the thing that I have a problem with where people put me on this pedestal and I'm like, just don't like, I'm somebody who talks about mental health and still struggles with mental health issues. I'm someone who, you know, while I'm not currently suffering from depression or OCD or PTSD right now, I still have anxiety. I'm still dealing with anxiety. Like that's just realness right now. I deal with body image issues that come up while thankfully I'm past that phase of disordered eating I still definitely find myself weighing myself a couple times a week and going like, fuck, I need to lose six pounds. Like I can't believe I don't fit into my, like, I'm still human having a very much so human experience. And while I meditate and, you know, I I think that people think enlightenment is like, you become this perfect, like Buddhist, brilliant being who's vegan and everything is, sustainable and you live in a yurt and like, that's great. If that's you. (laughs) And I love my friend who talks about, um, you know, and I say it on the podcast description, like being hot and woke aren't mutually exclusive. Like we can have all of these things. And that goes back to the nuances of like, we are humans having a human experience we have these crazy brains that are being force fed information all the fucking time. I don't want to live off the grid and to not be a part of it at all. And so I have to be really mindful about my consumption about, you know, social media and advertising and all of that type of stuff.
1: Right. It's so interesting. So in my book, I, I have a chapter called praying to Lana Del Rey because I always felt like I was fed the message where you were either this goop, blonde, spiritual, like, you know, I lived in LA, see these girls in Santa Monica and they're so perfect. And they're also also wealthy and they all have gurus. And I um, went to my first yoga class and the teacher totally shamed me, like embarrassed me in front of the whole class. And I'm from I'm from the tri-state area. I'm from New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. And like, it's not, that's very foreign to me. So I was like, if this is what these people are like, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Like put me back on the, you know, the Brooklyn Queens Expressway. Like who are these people? And then as I, I got older and I started to do all this healing work and I'm like, oh my God, these tools work so well. Meditation, all this stuff really does help me. Breathing exercises, practicing mindfulness, but it doesn't, you don't have to be, especially with mental health. I thought like it was like team holistic or team like medication. Mm -hmm. And I take Prozac and it really helps me, but I also meditate and I also do breath work and I also do cold showers and I also do talk therapy. And it's like, you can, again, like you can live in the nuance and people are really right now. And probably because we're on the precipice of some kind of big change, people are so freaked out.
0: Finance. Yeah. It's so- yeah, we we've become really polarized. You know, it's so black or white or red or blue or whatever it might be and it's you know and that's the thing is somebody who talks about politics a lot too. It's like I can be pro medical freedom like at every single level um whether that's vaccination and abortion or whatever and I can also be like an extreme liberal like I can be both (laughs) yeah I can have differing views and that's okay and it doesn't make me a lunatic like and it doesn't make me someone who doesn't believe in climate change because I absolutely do and it doesn't make me be someone who you know doesn't care about humanity because that couldn't be further from the truth like this is just my you know or doesn't care about babies somehow like give me right Right. um (laughs) So yeah, I think that the more polarized that we become, the more chaos is going to be created. I always think in these moments where I feel like the world is like thrashing around on top of it itself and the big swells are like one side and then the the opposing is the other. And it's like, if we could all just take a step back, if we could all just breathe, if we could all just really find out who the fuck we are, that's what it comes down to. And that's what I mean by like this hero's journey. Like the time to do it is now. It's why I wrote the book. It's why you wrote your book. It's why so many people are feeling a calling to being drawn towards this work. In my life reset course, I have a whole course uh, module on who am I? the truth is, for most of the people listening right now, you might think you know who you are, but you actually have no fucking clue right? who you really are. Right. And I mean, you didn't realize who you really were until you were in your 20s. I didn't realize who I really was until my late 20s. And I'm still figuring out who still, I am and what amazing. i like.
1: And it evolves. It, it actually, it evolves and it changes. And I didn't figure out who I was until I had a fucking nervous breakdown and had to move back home and felt like I was on acid all the time because I was having OCD flare ups. And, you know, I, I, I was like having vision. I remember it was, it was really dark. Like I was having visions in my head of like abused dogs that I, if I saw a picture, or an image, it would just get stuck there. And I thought mm. I was actually losing it. And everything kind of got take my whole life in London. I stripped it all away. And that's what it took for me to get to this place, which is why I always like want people to know like there's beauty in that breakdown. Sometimes it takes like this house that you've built for yourself. Sometimes it like, it has to just blow the fuck down And then you have to look at, and then you're free. Then you're like, well, maybe I don't want to live in this house. Maybe I want to live, you know, in a, in a condo by the beach. Maybe I want to live on a farm and you get to, and I mean that as a metaphor, but you get to sort of lay the floorboards down for yourself. And until you really like lay down those floorboards with your own two capable hands and realize you can do it, do you figure out who you are? And I feel bad sometimes for people who never reach some kind of breaking point. You
0: know yeah. I do too. And you know, I I just thought about something. Someone messaged me the other day and was like, Oh, you have all these people on that talk about like body positivity and inclusivity, but like you've had like a tummy tuck. And it's like, yeah, because that's a part of body positivity and body inclusivity. The whole idea <laughs> is that you get to do whatever the fuck you want with your body. The thing is you just need to check yourself, like, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for somebody else? And I think so many of us are living adult lives for somebody else. We're living lies. We're living lives and lies for somebody else to appease our parents, our grandparents, the generations before us to fit into a society that deems the messy parts of us as unworthy or unlovable to fit into our job or our workplace to have friends. I mean, My friends list has gone substantially down when I moved into my authentic self, but I don't give a fuck because the truth is that all of the other people aren't willing to be their authentic selves. And so I realized they're not friends of mine actually anyways, Because and that's not someone that I really am interested in being in a relationship with. And that's okay. That's okay, yeah.
1: And I think that in order to really be your authentic self, and this is something that I admire about you. And I think why people really listen to you and respect you is you're not gonna be your authentic. Like every real human being is nuanced and flawed and a bit this way and a bit that way and has all these shades of gray. Only people who are trying on an identity are either like fully on fit into a box. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what ends up triggering a lot of people because you're holding up a mirror. Like you're so authentic. As in all nuanced people are. So when they see that, it freaks them people out, and they want to challenge down. it. Yeah, exactly. It threatens almost because if you if you believe the world was this small, and then you see someone who's big, especially a woman who's made herself big, it's going to kind of challenge everything that you've done to make yourself small. It's hard to make yourself small. Um, so yeah, I really, yeah.
0: So. Right. Going back to pain points, and you had said, you know, talking about sex with nuance and all these things and all the backlash, and that those things can be pain points. And every single time, and I just want to leave people feeling really encouraged, every single time you address one of those things, and you don't see the other person as like an opponent or a bad person or put a label on the situation or the thing, And you just get to go, Ooh, that like hurt something in me like that. My heart started racing that, you know, punch in the gut feeling. That's when you begin to become bigger and brighter. And there's a cost with becoming bigger and brighter and living an authentic life. And it's oftentimes that a lot of people are going to have a lot to say about it. And that's okay. Because I think especially as women, we're told to not take up space to stay small, to stay little, to have small voices, to stay in line. And I guess you could say on the other side of that, for men, they're told they have to live big, but maybe some men don't want to. Maybe some men want to be more feminine. Maybe they want to be X, Y, or Z. We're just, we're told all of these messages. And when we begin to step into our authentic self, and when we begin to go, oh, okay, like, for me recently, it's been about money. Like people in my community are getting really fussy about the fact that I'm making money, which is right. weird. Mm-hmm. Cause it's mm-hmm. like money. Mm-hmm. Well, it's weird. Cause it's like one, if you really like me, wouldn't you want me to like success, be successful? Right. And then two, you know, because yeah, I keep hearing these things. People are making comments about how much money I make, which is weird. Cause like, they don't even know how much money I make um, <laughs> or don't make. Um, and so one, yeah. It's like, when people want to be happy for me that I'm like making a living and two, don't we realize that like successful women create a more peaceful world? Like when women are successful, we bring balance into this world. We help other women to get educated we help we work more on social causes we focus on humanity instead of greed most of the time like we're just that's just what's in our hearts and that's just right you know inherently who we are but as you move into these spaces and you become to burn brighter it's challenging and there are a lot of really difficult moments but the freedom is undeniably the most incredible experience that I've ever had in my life. And I know you feel the same.
1: Definitely. And then, and, and, and you also attract bright people, you know, and, and you, you become like this, you know, I feel like when I really got real with my writing and really got real with what I've been through, I just like my connection to my, I don't have the biggest following in the world. My connection to my readers is so real and beautiful and they're all so bright and we're all on this journey and I can mess up with them and I don't care about the other people. Like, I don't care. I, I really, like you said, like your friends list goes down, but it doesn't matter because you're with the bright people and you don't want to be with the light snuffers. If people see a light and they want to snuff it out, they have no place in your life.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's (laughs) so good. Yeah. And I think that for so many of us who are starting on this path and we begin to wake up to how many light snappers we have in our lives, we go, this sucks. And this is painful and hard to look at. But trust me, guys, it is so, so worth it. Right, so worth it, and if
1: no one can take it away from you, like when that light comes from yourself, no one can take it away from you. Like
0: mm.
1: you, you take, like even a job if you have your dream job and you get fired or all this stuff—it's like no, like the light. And even if you lose it for a while, and you, like, I've had times in my life where I've done things that have taken out my own light again, where I've over self medicated, been over medicated, been around bad people. The light always welcomes you back. You know, once you've connected to it. So if you're feeling like you don't have it, you do. You just got to turn that shit back on and get away from all those people who want to dim it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always there. You know, we were born these perfect little beings. And for many of us, I think our light had been dimmed from the very start. And hopefully there's more and more people who are starting to step back into their light and to find it and to experience that peace and freedom that comes with that. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Where The book is out. It came out last week. I'm not sure when this episode is going to air, but it's out right now. And it's called Girls Stop Passing Out in Your Makeup. It is amazing. I suggest everybody gets it. And where can everyone follow along with you on um, social? Instagram
1: at Zara Berry I also have a a writer's Facebook page Zara Berry Words and it's actually a really sweet lovely community of mainly women so definitely check me out there and book is available really Barnes and Noble Amazon Books a Million Bookshop wherever books are sold nice
0: thank you so much thank
1: you for having me this has been wonderful
0: this week's affirmation is I am who I want to be And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at recoveringfromreality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com.